Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Kane Sims here from VUX World and I'm going to read you a passage from a book called Exploring GPT-3, an unofficial first look at the general purpose language processing API from OpenAI. It's by St uh, Steve Tingiris from Dabble Labs. Shout out to Steve, he's a good friend of VUX World. Uh, and this book really is a, a really solid guide on GPT-3. I've been thinking a lot about what the future of artificial intelligence, the future of this technology and where it's all heading and GPT-3 is a really good example of that and so definitely check it out if you haven't checked it out already. The passage is uh, aimed at just showing you the size and scale of the model that sits behind GPT-3. So this is from Steve. GPT-3 was trained with a massive dataset comprised from, of text from the internet, books and other sources containing roughly 57 billion words and 175 billion parameters. That's 10 times larger than GPT-2 and the next largest language model. To put the model into co context and perspective, the average human might read, write, speak and hear upward of a billion words in an entire lifetime. So GPT-3 has been trained on an estimated 57 times the number of words most humans will ever process that is absolutely crazy there is no system on the planet that has been trained on as much data as that it is absolutely mad steve continues the gpt3 language model is massive so it's not something that you'll be downloading and dabbling with on your laptop but even if you could which you can't because it's not available to download it would cost millions of dollars in computing resource each time you wanted to build the model this would put gpt3 out of reach for most small companies and virtually all individuals if you had to rely on your own computer resource to use it thankfully you don't OpenAI makes GPT-3 available through an API that is both affordable and easy to use, so anyone can use some of the world's most advanced AI ever created. And that's basically what GPT-3 is. It is some of the most advanced AI out there. It, it is an incredibly powerful tool. It doesn't work perfectly for all use cases, but you can certainly see the direction of travel with this kind of natural language processing technology. Right now, conversation designers are spending a lot of time defining intents, building out flows, trying to gather training data. With GPT-3, all that training data is already there. So for certain use cases like Q&A, question answering, and all of those kind of things, the world of conversation design is going to change and the way that we approach designing AI systems built on natural language understanding is going to change as well. It is absolutely incredible. Do check out the book. It's called Exploring GPT-3 by Steve Tingiris and uh, it is uh, well worth a read. It's actually got a lot of practical examples in there as well. It's, it's a bit tech heavy. I'm not a developer myself. I'm trying to get through it, but it is the most detailed and in-depth look at this technology that I've ever seen and it is absolutely fascinating. Hi, it's Audrey from Audio Brain, and I've decided to choose a lyric from a song by Queen called Radio Gaga. And it's very, very important to me because it's a sound-only vehicle, and it left so much to your imagination. And in these words, they capture everything besides being a great song. I'm focusing on the lyrics. And it talks about the imagination and my only friend in teenage nights and you made them laugh and made them cry and you made us feel like we could fly so don't become some background noise you had your time you had your power 
you've yet to see your finest hour radio. And that's kind of, to me, where we're at right now with podcasts and all of the different voice and sound vehicles that are going on. The song is really relative to that. And not only that, it's my favorite band and my favorite artist. And without a Freddie Mercury, there would be no audio brain. But more importantly, let's get back to the subject at hand. This song and this lyric, most importantly, lyrics, uh, talks about, you know, you watch shows and everything else, but the power of the radio, which is the power of sound. And I love it so much. And I listen to it all the time when I want to dance, when I want to do things. So I hope you have a look at the lyrics and thanks for having me. So um, this is really kind of interesting. I always like this when Dr. Bazid does this because it's really interesting. Hi, my name is Lloyd Ford. I'm with Rainmaker Pathway Consulting Works. We help media companies and other companies get attention and grow their brand with consumers today in a crowded world of distraction. You know it's true. This month's question is really kind of different. Uh, it says, pick one message from a book, article, video, podcast, or even a tweet or LinkedIn post that you really like that deals with something related to voice, audio, etc. Then read it and tell us briefly what it means and why you like it. Please make sure you provide enough information so people can locate the source. Okay, so I personally consistently read from a wide variety of resources for the purpose of gaining two things, knowledge and wisdom that helps me with voice behavior strategy and the value of service in, in my business and in service to my clients and in the industries in which we serve both in and out of the media business. So while this book that I'm about to talk about isn't strictly on voice, matter of fact, it's not in voice, you certainly can apply it to voice and audio consumers and the use of voice to create influence or create value today. The book is Principles for Dealing with the Changing World Order, Why Nations Succeed and Fail by Ray Dalio. I know, it seems heavy. This book looks at cycles in like 600 year periods of time, behavior, and how, in my words, man makes no progress. And that's important. We're talking about human behavior. And no matter what you're doing with voice or audio, if you want to be heard, you have to understand humans and what is happening. In the book, Ray shares how his work is really about looking at how the world works. He wrote this book to talk about how we often see things in our lifetime. We think, oh, this is new. It's never happened before, but often these things are actually being repeated. It's some kind of rhythm from the past or an outright same kind of thing that another generation has seen. Ray says to be someone who shows the big picture, you can't focus on the details. While I will attempt to paint a big sweeping picture accurately, I can't do it in a precise way in order for you to see it and understand it you can't try to do so in a precise way 
That is because we're looking at mega, mega micro trends and evolution over long time frames. To see them, you have to let go of the details. This is so true, by the way. Let me put it in perspective. So COVID-19 is new, right? Well, all right, what about 1918? They had something similar, and it's not the only time this kind of virus has happened. Whatever you're doing in voice and audio, I encourage you to take a serious look at behavior, look at cycles, look at what always tends to happen with humans. I'm Lloyd Ford from Rainmaker Pathway Consulting Works. If you are looking to connect with audience, customers, or anyone else, if they're human, we can help. F-O-R-D at RainmakerPathway.com, 864-448-4169. Thank you. Hi, this is Deborah Dahl from Conversational Technologies. For this month's Sonic Voices, I'm at Assets to pick one passage from a book that we really liked related to voice. For me, that has to be H.P. Grice's statement of the cooperative principle for conversations from his 1975 paper, Logic in Conversation. Grice states, Make your conversational contribution such as is required at the state at which it occurs by the accepted purpose or direction of the talk exchange in which you are engaged. It seems almost self-evident, but it really provides a foundation for all conversational design. Going along with the cooperative principle are the four Gricium maxims, be informative, be truthful, be relevant, and be clear. The maxims also seem self-evident, but we can see a lot of bad user experiences that trace their way back to failure to follow the Gricean maxims. This is sometimes due to bad design and sometimes due to the fact that the system is just not very capable. For example, I sometimes see that the maxim be informative, also called the maxim of quantity, is often violated by bad design that causes the agent to be over informative. For example, I asked Alexa if I should get a brown or blue sweater and it responded with a 50-word answer that included a weather forecast, a couple of outfit suggestions, and some search suggestions for outfit inspirations with no advice about what sweater to get. This is just a bad design. On the other hand, violations of the maximum of relevance often originate when the agent fails to understand the user and so says something irrelevant. A good example is a query that was posed to Google. Google was asked, I'm allergic to cats, are there other pets I could have? It responded with a web search result about whether cats and dogs could be allergic to each other. It clearly didn't understand the question and came back with an irrelevant answer, failing to follow the maximum of relevance. Gricean maxims are a great source of insight into conversational failures. It should be part of every conversation designer's toolkit. Hey everyone, how's it going? It's Nick from VoiceSpark Live and the Chief Voice Advocate at All Things WonderWord. And today I would like to share with you uh, a few of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite sci-fi movies, 2001 A Space Odyssey. And the reason why I want to share this, uh, share this quote is because I think that we need to uh, embrace voice technology, but also keep it at a distance as well. And the one quote that everybody should 
should know is uh, Hal 9000 saying, I'm afraid I can't do that, Dave. If we trust these systems and we build them in a certain way, then there is that opportunity to where they could take that information literally and not be able to uh, decipher uh, the, the human meaning behind the, uh, the directions that are given and actually shut us down or, um, you know, see us as a potential threat. And you go back in, uh, in science fiction and you see this a lot. You see it in um, the Terminator series. You also see it in um, a movie called Eagle Eye, where uh, it was this whole thing that was set up and this supercomputer was essentially going to take out the U.S. government and uh, put, put one of the cabinet people in charge because the computer thought that he was the only one that was uh, worthy enough to survive or, you know, become, become a leader. So what you have to do is you have to keep all of this stuff in perspective and you've got to keep it at a, at a, at an arm's reach. Like for me, there's some places where I will never put a screen device, uh, you know, I'll never put a screen device in my bedroom. I'll never put a, um, a voice enabled device in a bathroom. You have to create your own boundaries. You have to set those boundaries and you have to follow your own set of guidelines that will help you keep this stuff at bay. So again, I'd like to thank Ahmed for uh, putting this out there and uh, allowing me to revisit, uh, you know, one of my favorite movies. Now I'm going to have to go back and rewatch it. But uh, thank you very much. And as always, have a great day. Hello, my name is Emily, and I'm a content designer at Willow Tree, one of the hosts of VoiceBark Live, and a member of the Ethical Use Task Force at the Open Voice Network. Today, I'll be reading a passage from the first paragraph of Chapter 8 in the book Black Linguistics. In this chapter, Dr. John Baugh, the Margaret Bush Wilson Professor in Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis, talks about linguistic profiling. Here's the passage. The concept of linguistic profiling is introduced here as the auditory equivalent of visual racial profiling. We ultimately argue that linguistic profiling is more finely tuned to diversity among Americans than are dissatisfactory classifications that have been used in the courts and for controversial social and educational policies based on race. Matters of fairness, which Americans value, lie at the core of linguistic profiling. As with racial profiling, linguistic profiling can have devastating consequences for those U.S. residents who are perceived to speak with an undesirable accent or dialect. I wanted to bring attention to this passage because it highlights the dangers of what can happen when we don't take ethics into consideration when building voice experiences. Dr. Ba's research, talked about later in the chapter, focuses on linguistic profiling in the housing industry in particular. The research showed that people that were perceived to be people of color based on the way they sounded on the phone were way more likely to be denied housing opportunities 
based solely on the sound of their voice than people that were perceived as being white. He also found that it occurred when applying for loans and searching for service providers and employment. Given the fact that voice technology is increasingly being used to make automated decisions for opportunities that affect people's lives, such as screening candidates for job opportunities, it's crucial to be aware of these biases and make sure they're not amplified in the design. It'll be interesting to see how voice technology evolves in the automated decision-making process in the future, but educating people and raising awareness will go a long way towards mitigating bias and discrimination. And we just need to do our part to make sure that everyone is getting an equal chance to succeed. Hi folks. I want to focus on a particular quote. You may have heard it before and you may be rolling your eyes when I uh, repeat it. So please bear with me because I want to qualify this. So the quote is the 738.55 rule. If you just put those numbers into your search bar, 738.55, you'll find it. And the thing with that rule is that he was apparently summarizing the importance of body language and voice tone and words in communication. And so what you will commonly find all over the internet in all sorts of places is people saying, hey, communication is 7% words, 38% voice tone and 55% body language. And this is totally not what Mehrabian discovered. So now you may be wondering, why am I bringing this up? And my reason is I absolutely love this uh, totally viral little rule that is spread all over the internet. And the reason I love it is because it's an introduction to people that communication is about more than words. The problem being that it's become this blanket that's just been covered over any discussion about communication. When you look into it, you realize that it doesn't work. Let me give you an example. I'm going to have to type this in. Okay, have a listen to this quote and think how much of the information that you're receiving is about words, how much is about tone of voice. And of course, we're going to have to leave out body language because in this case, uh, you can't see what I'm doing. Um, guinea pigs, utilized in some of the earliest models of allergic airway responses, present early and late phase responses with concurrent AHR and eosinophilia, much like human manifestations of the disease. Now, I think there's a really good chance that my tone of voice didn't help you out there much. I was making sure to read it as clearly as possible, but essentially, the words in that sentence were the most important element. On the other hand, if I say fire, well, the word fire was important, but perhaps the way I said it with urgency and it sounded like a warning was more important because I instantly alerted you to the fact that something important was happening. And had you seen me, you would have seen the direction I was pointing to show you where the fire was. Hello, 
My name is Julia Anderson, and I am a conversation designer. Today, I'm going to be talking about an article that really caught my interest, and it's titled, Voice Assistants Don't Understand Us, They Should, and it is an opinion piece in the New York Times published in September of 2021 by Shar Adams. The author notes that there are 7.5 million people in the U.S. who have trouble using their voices due to deafness or other communication disorders. One interviewee, Dagmar Munn, states the following. Although I am careful to enunciate and carefully pronounce a command, the device stops listening by my second word. I just can't speak fast enough to satisfy the preset listening time, Ms. Munn said. The novelty quickly wore off when I really needed the device to respond. While this is not the best feedback to receive about products that I design, I feel that it is important to acknowledge. I initially felt disheartened after reading this. However, since this article's release, I've had conversations with friends and family who use voice assistants and realized that this is actually a common sentiment when it comes to voice assistant usability. As a conversation designer, I sometimes need a reality check on how the public perceives the products that we are making. Miss Munn explains how careful she is, maybe even hesitant, when using voice assistance. Her quote really emphasizes two main points. First, the necessity of gathering diverse linguistic data for machines to better understand certain speech patterns or accents. Second, it encourages us to think about ways to maintain a sense of novelty and delight in these products, even when errors occur. I recommend reading the article to learn about ways that companies are addressing these problems. And ultimately, I look forward to seeing how this technology can involve the populations it purportedly is meant to serve. Hi, I'm Jim Kennelly, owner of Lotus Productions. I often find myself looking at articles on Medium Medium is a digital publishing site where uh, experts and also undiscovered voices look at the heart of issues or actually bring up new ideas. This month I was looking at an article by Diane Wang called The Automation of Creativity. Diane's article points out that AI is undoubtedly shaping individual choices every moment. The trade-off of AI is not just about privacy, but also about personal taste and identity. The increased role of artificial intelligence does not make our tastes more unique, necessarily, and confirming to algorithms can often stifle innovation. Our company tends to specialize in diversity and inclusive voiceover casting. We have audio localization expertise. At Lotus Productions, we specialize in diverse and inclusive voice casting. We have audio localization expertise. We know that brands all want unique identities and a voice that distinguishes them from their competitors. We're sure that synthetic voices in the future will be personalized to the user's culture, their humor, their language, and that's going to help promote inclusivity and diversity and also build a more vertical ad space. We've found that a diverse mix of voices leads to better discussions, better decisions, and also better outcomes.
Hello, this is Maria Erdulaki, Director at Dialog Connection and Principal Consultant Customer Experience at ECS Global Logic. Today I was really excited to find out from the AWS What's New website that Amazon Lex will now support multiple ranked ASR hypotheses. The respective article is entitled Amazon Lex launches multiple transcripts and confidence scores support for speech input. And the pertinent point in the article is the following. The transcripts provide alternate interpretations of the user's speech input. Each transcript is associated with a confidence score that indicates the likelihood of a match. The transcripts, along with the confidence scores, can be used to enhance the conversation design. Indeed, having alternative transcriptions of what the user said, this is now me talking, ranked depending on how confident we are that the user said each of them, means that we can now dynamically determine the next step in the dialogue. Most obviously, you can decide whether to play a confirmation to the user and how exactly to formulate it. For example, if we are sure that the user said tomorrow, we may play an implicit confirmation such as Wednesday the 2nd of February, okay, and at what time were you looking to visit? Or we could even skip the confirmation altogether to make the dialogue shorter. If, however, the confidence score was relatively low, say 60%, we may play an explicit confirmation, such as, was that Wednesday the 2nd of February? To which we would expect an explicit yes or no from the user. This is a game changer for Amazon, as its ASR, its uh, speech recognition system, is now catching up with the likes of veterans such as Nuance. Most importantly, this is a highly anticipated and welcome update for conversation designers and voice user experience architects worldwide who can now use the different ASR hypotheses and scores to customize their designs and contact flows and hence show off real intelligence in the voice bot. Thank you. Hello everyone, this is Ahmed Nizit from Woodlingo and I'm going to read from this book, I find, actually. Uh, the title of this book is uh, Shady Characters, The Secret Life of Punctuation, Symbols and Other Typographical Marks by Keith Houston. Um, I bought it in a second-hand store and it is published by Norton & Company, the year is 2013. So here's the paragraph. The orthographic world of ancient Greece was a sparse old place. When reading a contem contemporary manuscript, a literate Greek of Homer's time would be faced with an unbroken stream of letters, all uppercase, because at the time there was no other case, with lines running alternately left to right and then right to left across the page in the ox turning style after a farmer driving uh, his ox his oxen across the field perhaps most cruelly 
the visual signposts of punctuation that today we take for granted were completely absent. It was the reader's unenviable lot to tease out words, clauses, and even sentences from this densely packed zigzag of characters. Okay, so the reason why I thought this was really interesting is because language is always evolving. Um, written language, spoken language, a lot of things that we take for granted, in fact, everything that we take for granted, and even those things that we don't take for granted, everything was invented historically, had to be thought by by someone, by some culture, by um, some committee, by uh, some genius person, by some influencer, whatever it may be, There's all, we are always in the process of creation of, and so in, in ancient Greece, basically they had um, one case and um, there was no punctuation and there was even no spacing uh, and it was simply a a series of words, I'm sorry, a series of letters actually. Uh, and you, the reader, had the task to decipher, right? And somebody who was uh, somebody who was literate is somebody who could not only read the letters but could decipher what were the words, what were the clauses, and so on. So there was a lot of activity from the reader. And so, progressively, as we as as languages have uh, evolved, both um, written and spoken. A key feature of that evolution of language is the ability to communicate efficiently. Um, and so I think, I think that inside that language uh, has been evolving, that it started somewhere um, with the Greeks who were very literate, <coughs> um, but, uh, but, but the tools that they had to communicate clearly were very primitive. Um, the concepts were complex, obviously. Uh, but the, the the communication the communication devices were uh, were scarce and were they were poor and so um, I say I say that uh, the insight is important because I think it's important to understand that we are constantly evolving our language at, at many levels whether it's vocabulary or constructions or whether or it's punctuation whether it's conversations between human human beings or, or conversation between human beings and bots, um, there's always that push to um, making communication better and easier. Uh, and it's important to know that it's not a given. There is, there's, it's a constant dialectic that is in function of many, many things and, and, it, and it happens over time. Uh, language doesn't, doesn't exist as a static thing. Uh, it, is a, it is basically uh, a set of tools that we are constantly uh, adding to, taking away from, if there are certain tools that are not uh, useful anymore, and just uh, you know enriching with the driving goal being uh, better, more efficient communication between human beings and between human beings and now these bots that we're creating. All right, thanks a lot. Bye.